Hello, and welcome to Break the Line, the podcast where we talk with guests about topics in contemporary poetry. The catch? The guests aren't poets. I'm your host and resident poet, Rebecca Faravar. For this episode, I spoke with Duncan Wold and Evan Winchester, two members of the sketch comedy troupe Mission Control, about comedy and poetry. We focused the conversation on two poems that use humor in different ways. First, Lynn Din's poem, Borderless Body, from the book Borderless Bodies, published in 2006, and poem called Night of the Living Dead and Zombies by Graham Faust, which was originally published by the online magazine Real Poetique in 2011. You can check out videos by Mission Control, and that's controlled spelled C-T-R-L, like on a keyboard, and keep track of their live shows by visiting the website missioncontrolcomedy.com. Again, that's missioncontrlcomedy.com. Okay, let's get to the show. Um, and Duncan, how would you describe your guys' comedy sensibility? <laughs> Um, I think it's a uh, when it really gets on, it's a really nice mix of um, what you might call highbrow and lowbrow comedy. Um, there's a lot of butt jokes and um, that kind of stuff, but there's also a lot of uh, brain you know jokes. brain jokes. <laughs> there's a lot of you know space. There's a reason we call ourselves Mission Control. We actually named ourselves after one of our sketches that was called Mission Control. That was about um, NASA Mission Control and. Uh, sort of an expose of how behind the chatter they're they really don't have any idea what's going on uh, and then had a second part where you you saw the whole scene happen a second time from the astronauts perspective where you realize that uh, they're also kind of involved in some strange bromantic comedy that they are trying to hide with their scientific chatter uh, so there's a nice mix of this nice mix of like uh, you know you know we, we one of our sketches we had um, Satan interview Mark Zuckerberg um, about why there were more souls going in Mark Zuckerberg's direction these days than Satan's direction. It's on Satan's talk show. Um, Evan played Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, I played... I've done it multiple times now. <laughs> That's that, your character. <laughs> that was the first but not the last time I would play Mark Zuckerberg, as it turns out. Nice. So do you guys find you use a lot of characters? Like, okay, you have Mark Zuckerberg. Do you have other characters that you kind of keep going back to again and again? Definitely. Let's see. We've done, uh, yeah, there's those mission control pieces. Give us, give us some of the old prospector. Okay. We have a character called old prospector. One day, um, you know, we do sketch, which is all pre-written, like the way you would have it on Saturday Night Live. But a lot of comedians do improv comedy, which some of us have experience with, not everybody. So we have one sketch where we say, okay, we want some suggestions from the audience. You know, we're, we're just, we drop the next sketch. We're going to do improv. Uh, we just need some suggestions for some professions. Could I have some uh, suggestions, Duncan? Old Prospector. Oh, that sounds really... Well, actually, you know, that one's kind of been done. Uh, Will Ferrell kind of already climbed that mountain. Um, so we'll probably won't do that one, but... Hey, I'm an old prospector! <laughs> oh. Well, we weren't really expecting an actual... So what are you all doing? You guys are joke tellers, are you? Hey, I got a few jokes for you. Knock, knock. Who's there? St. Elmo's Fire. St. Elmo's Fire who? St. Elmo's Fires are coming, so haul your britches up, head to the high ground, and say goodbye to the youngins. Did he just make an infant mortality joke? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, so, nice. <laughs> so that's one of your recurring... <laughs> yeah, he's... he's we, well, we keep using him. Yeah. Or, or, or we realize that we have another character, and then it turns out, oh, he's just Old Prospector. 
And so we just kind of go all the way. It's like, oh, I was playing that a little bit like Old Prospector, but I'm really fighting it. And then it's finally you just like, just do it. You know, just go it's Old over. Prospector. Yeah. Awesome. That's um, really interesting to me here, to hear you guys talk about these characters because when I was uh, looking at the poems and thinking about these poems that we're going to talk about today, um, one by Graham Faust and one by Lyndon, what struck me is that both of them have a real strong sense of character, like a speaker who's who's talking about it. And so I don't know, do you feel like that's something inherent in comedy in general? Is that having a, a strong sense of a character or you know, how, how does character play into your comedy? Um, let's see, Duncan, yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes character plays a huge role in the comedy. I mean, those are some examples where it does. And when you watch things like Saturday Night Live, there's and Mad TV and, you know, but also Upright Citizens Brigade and Second City things. And, you know, there's these characters that, that come out over and over again and just you get to know them and you love them. And once you love them, then it's like your friend who's just really funny and, you know, you try and tell everyone. You're like, and Evan was like, he didn't even show up that night and no one else gets it, but you know, <laughs> he's your friend. So it makes a lot of sense and it's hilarious to you. Um, and that's good. And when you start building up an audience that gets it too, um, that's even better. Um, at the same time, sometimes we'll do things that are, uh, totally characterless. Um, one of my favorite pieces was a piece called self-important planetarium, which had no characters. It was, um, we just dimmed the lights of a th the theater and had a planetarium show which was uh, very low budget, so the sun was a flashlight and Earth was a laser pointer, and there was just a planetarium voice that talked about everything that was happening, but always in terms of planetarium. So, you know, the sun is over 10 billion times the size of a planetarium. Uh, <laughs> inside its core, atoms moving literally trillions of times faster than a planetarium colliding, you know, so... Uh, I guess maybe the planetarium speaker was almost a character in that, but sometimes you do you, sometimes you do comedy that's very concept based. Um, before you leave, you should ask Evan to do another one of his great characters, though, which is the damn guy. Damn guy. Let's see, Evan, who's the damn guy? <laughs> Man, it's been a while since I did the damn guy. But the damn guy is like, there's some people talking around, and one of them is like. Man, I just made this new friend. He's just the coolest. Like, wait till you guys see him. You're just not even gonna believe it. And then there's some funk music that starts to play, like, uh, for the love of money. Yeah, for the love of money. Uh, and then it's like, I think that's him. He's coming right this way. And then everyone clears to the side, and the damn guy just sidles in and Dan dances in, <laughs> dances funkily in, <laughs> and lays down some kind of one lighter, like. Damn! The other day I realized I had to pee hella bad, but then I went to the public library and I used that one and it turned out to be okay. And plus my mom works there and she took care of some of my late fees for me. Damn! And then exit. And then people on stage are like, man, that was the coolest. Like, didn't you see that? That was so cool. And then everyone else still needs to be convinced. So, so I think that's an example of a case where it's very character-based, but the character also is created out of the context of what's happening. So we have a premise, like some premise, and then the character kind of grows out of that because you think, how can we nail this premise and grow it? Yeah. So, so in this case, the premise might be, does some really dope funk music just make someone who might be really lame cool? <laughs> and the answer is yeah. emphatically yes. <laughs> oh, yes, it does. Because at the very end, he comes out with no funk music, and they all realize he's totally lame. Uh, but until then, they have no idea. <laughs> nice. Well, since I can kind of see uh, the speaker of the poem, Borderless Body, walking out and some funk music, possibly, <laughs> maybe we should turn to that one. So let's see. Um, so this first poem we'll talk about, yeah, is Borderless Body by Lyndon. 
who I don't know if anyone has seen him read or if you were familiar with his work before, but he's a hilarious, not even, I mean, hilarious isn't even the right word. It's like just a real high energy poet, just calms. He's a really distinct personality on stage. And I don't know, maybe you got a sense of that in the poems. So before we talk about it, let's hear it. Evan, could you read Borderless Body for us? Borderless Body. Before I was a miserly person, dried up, stiff, stuck, completely wrung, stuttering, fanatical. But this morning, my skin felt unusually cool and conscious. My body tingled. Suddenly, I could understand and speak 2,000 languages. My soul blossomed, my breasts budded. I peeled back my foreskin to scrape clean all of my obsolete and labored presumptions. My teeth, the gaps in between my teeth and my breath felt unusually fresh and clean. I could see very far away. I could sympathize with each strand of hair stranded on the skin of each person. Shuddering, I ejaculated for the first time in life, into life. I became aware of my miraculous vagina and anus. Finally, I had been allowed to spread out, to blend into all humans, animals, and things. I just wanted to leap up, to kiss everyone right away. I just wanted to service and suck everyone right away. I also wanted to be sucked by everyone on this earth. I was willing to forgive and apologize to each toe joint on each person. Naked, I walked through the street as the very first human. Hey, thank you for reading that. I mean, I guess to start, did you guys find this funny at all? <laughs> Let me just start with that in the room. Duncan, what about you? Um, that's a good question. Yeah. You know, I, I uh, and I know we'll read the other poem in a minute. Um, I, I found this one more like a serious type poem. Um, and I think there's definitely some lightness to it. Uh, but all in all, it's, it's sort of this poem about like uh, self-discovery or self-exploration or feeling connected to all things. I mean, uh, when I read it, the, the sort of image that came into my mind was, um, I don't know why this was exactly it. It was about this this article I read about people having religious experiences and and uh, the, some of these tests they did where they hooked them up to EKGs and things, and um, they associated these different religious phenomenon with certain areas of the brain turning on or off. And one of them was this area that uh, that figures out where you end and other things begin. So if I were to touch you know this microphone or something, it would know that even though I'm touching the microphone, it's not part of me. And they notice people in these meditative states. Um, having this little bit of their brain turn off and, and then they report feeling, you know, part of the whole universe or connected to everything. And so in this case, uh, it seems like that same kind of concept at both a, an emotional and physical level and sexual level. Um, so I, you know, I didn't laugh at it or anything like that. Um, it's not dark though. So yeah. So that's interesting. It. Yeah. So it's not dark. You you sort of took it more. There's definitely, um, a sincerity in the emotion you felt. Yeah. Would you say that? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I would. <laughs> so how about you, Evan? Did you find this one uh, funny? I didn't find it funny. I found it kind of like Duncan was saying, I read it as this sort of ecstatic uh, expression. However, uh, I didn't know about Lyndon's performance style until you mentioned it. And then I started to think about the, possible intonations and ways you could read it where it could be very funny. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, is there like, 
a place where you think it would be particularly funny with a specific or maybe a particular intonation, intonation or... you could read it with that would be pretty funny. <laughs> well, or do it as an old prospector. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Borderless batting. Before I was a miserly person, dried up, stiff, stuck, completely wrong, stuttering, fanatical. <laughs> so this could be the next into, uh, incarnation of the old prospectors at a poetry reading. <laughs> reading. Yes. yes. That's a great idea. <laughs> yes, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> can I be a member of your troop now? <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to, should I continue reading? Oh, no, you don't have or? to do the whole okay. thing. But uh, was there a place you saw specifically where you could imagine it? with a, a specific greeting style, um, having, highlighting the humorous part? Well, yeah. And, you know, there's... In this couplet that says, Finally, I had been allowed to spread out, to blend into all humans, animals, and things. I just wanted to leap up, to kiss everyone right away. I just wanted to service and suck everyone right away. To me, the funny thing about this isn't, uh, you know, wanting to service and suck everyone right away. It's the, the way I just wanted... You know, there's a way that it's sort of casual, but it's also could be read as I solely wanted to. And well, that's getting back to the more ecstatic. But, you know, if you read that with a kind of I could see that being funny if you read it in a kind of casual, like the epiphany is frank. The epiphany is (laughs) frankly sexual. (laughs) Well, yeah, I can, I can see that for sure. I mean, I think too for for myself when I read this poem, um, what what I, I I found funny about it is it, there's this timing element because you're right when you first read the the uh, title and you read the first few lines, it it's kind of overwrought, you know, especially you know someone who reads poetry a lot, like it's very over the top poetic, you know, um, uh, which is maybe off-putting at first, but then once I get to that third uh, couplet where it's, uh, you know, my soul blossom, my breast budded, I peeled back my foreskin to scrape clean all of my obsolete and labored presumptions. It's like, oh, okay, something's going on here. Like that, he's taken this uh, tone, a very like highly poetic tone, and then now I'm getting a little wink. He's, yeah, kind of having fun with us, right? So one thing that struck me about this poem was the element of timing in comedy, you know, and that I think part of it is this timing that you're presented with a really sincere narrator who, yeah, I would agree with you, Duncan, like there is a sincere emotion under underneath it, but it's also um, almost poking fun in some ways of what we would expect a poet to to be like. So I don't know, was there a place for you guys where you felt like, oh, well, there's something you know, different about this poem or it's different than other poems that I've read and that that was maybe a clue to, or a way to access some of the humor in it. I think the, some of those surprises, you know, a lot of comedy comes from surprise where you, there's that classic rule of three is you establish a premise and then you confirm it and then you give it a twist and that's a joke. Um, I think that some of that is happening in the enjambment. So some of these lines end, you know, I could sympathize with each strand of hair stranded on the skin of each person where it's like, it's not just, I could sympathize with each person. You find out in the next line strand of hair, you know, it's, it's down to that level. And you find that out in the next line or each strand of hair that's then stranded on the skin of each person. It's just, it keeps going, you know, suddenly I could understand and speak 2000 languages. That's uh, after the line ends. Yeah. Not just speak. Yeah, exactly. It's so hyperbolic that 
um, it's it's just so over the top that they're that's where a lot of the comedy's coming from, right? Yeah, that sort of humor. And then, of course, I mean, you guys were talking earlier about this mixture in your comedy of highbrow, lowbrow. I think you're getting the same thing here with my miraculous anus and vagina. Like, of course, that's like in, meant to make you giggle in some way uh, while expressing the sense of whatever connectedness with the world, but also, you know, throwing it out there like that. So. Cool. Um, well, why don't we go ahead and turn to the next poem, which is uh, by Graham Faust, a poem called Night of the Living Dead and Zombies. Duncan, do you want to read it for us? I would. Night of the Living Dead and Zombies. Or Dawn of the Dead and Zombies. I don't care. Department of Redundancy Department, I say in my most cheerful, bitter phone voice, though I'm not at work and my Blackberry's off. I lie, and it lays on the couch. Both of us, oddly perfect, like a pinball in a cloud. I find I'm to bed on the late side these days, television test patterns having vanished, but I could always get there earlier. Were there reason enough, say, one, to do so? You say tomato, I say, don't tase me, bro. Have I got an obituary for me? Born 1970, died 19-something, lives in California, with his family. Great, thank you. <laughs> I mean, what were your reactions to this poem? Maybe to start out, same thing. Did you uh, did this one strike you as funny, like, uh, or or not? It's okay if it's not too. <laughs> Evan, how about you? Well, it didn't strike me as funny in the ha ha funny way, but it did have an edge of satire and certainly wit and. You say tomato, I say don't taste me, bro. That's a funny rhyme. Uh, I think that there's something underlying this poem that's very serious, but within that, it's playing around a lot. You know, um, I was just thinking this idea of like it being serious, but it's playing around, right? We just were talking about Lyndon, and clearly that's happening here too. Um, but I, I think too about comedy, sometimes it's very serious, right? That and I don't know if you experience this the same with sketch, but with stand-up especially, it seems like it's sometimes really dark, serious things with a comedic spin on it. I don't know. So maybe it's not such a coincidence then that with the poems, they don't, yeah, they're not like ha-ha funny, but they're using some kind of humor to express some kind of dark or more serious thought. I don't know. You're you're nodding your head, Duncan. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I thought this one actually was really funny. I thought this one was hilarious. It's so bitter and it's so bitter about like getting up and going to work and like kind of just bitter about existing. The image of the, of lying on the couch next to the Blackberry, I lie and it lays on the couch. The, like that line, it killed me. And uh, it actually really reminded me of a, of a piece that we did that Evan was in that was called My Private Rage, which is a piece where Evan um, was playing mini golf with his two like really gregarious friends. And uh, he's playing with them and he's he's like keeps kind of missing his shots and just being really frustrated. And that's what they see. And then the, what, the way the direction the piece goes, the theatrical direction, is that each time he misses a shot or each time they make a shot, it pauses and he steps forward into the spotlight and then monologues about his private rage. <laughs> that nobody understands but him <laughs> and it's all this private rage over uh making or missing uh mini golf shots basically he hates the game he just hates being there 
and so you know it just he every little asset aspect of it just like this focusing on you know the the blackberry sitting next to him or the television static focusing on the windmill and the shot going through it or not going through it is what is just the focal point of his extreme anger about something so mundane almost not something kind of silly and not serious so yeah i mean that's funny as you're talking it strikes me like this is a poem essentially about being bored right and feeling kind of meaningless but if you were to write a poem about boredom that would be a terrible poem right that would be really boring (laughs) but he's managed to talk about this thing that pretty much most adults i'm gonna go out on a limb say feel (laughs) about work life or about the sort of the mundane task you have to do the sort of repetition of life he's kind of found a way to talk about that issue by using these funny things so it's not a it's a poem about boredom that's not boring right one thing too that's different about it than from linden right is that borderless body is kind of a very poetic sounding title you know shall we say this one you get immediately poem called night of living dead and zombies it already is is funny in that title just by taking this again like low culture high culture putting it together and then calling your poem a poem called right so i don't know did you find like the title of this poem having it set already kind of a comedic tone did that give you a different entrance into it do you feel like it changed the way you read it as opposed to linden's yeah i think so uh poem called night of the living dead and zombies just like you're saying, Night of the Living Dead and Zombies, there's something <laughs> excessive about that. And then the first line, or Dawn of the Dead and Zombies, dash, I don't care. There's such a disaffected attitude in the first, in the title and the first line that, um, yeah, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. It's a, I don't know. Did you, so you felt like this poem was more humorous throughout, more so than the, the Linden poem. I kind of had, in some ways, a little bit of a different reaction, because when I went back and read it, I was like, oh, this poem's hilarious, right? But then when I thought about it, I was like, there's really only two jokes in the poem, right? There's only two things. There's the first one, right, which is saw department, redundancy department, and then the don't tase me, bro, which you brought up, Evan. And then everything else, it's sort of, like, the whole middle part actually could also be kind of serious as well, you know? One thing that I picked up on Duncan's reading was the way he enunciated the word one uh, in the line. um, But I could always get there earlier with their reason enough, say one to do so. So Duncan emphasized that. And also in the poem, that word one is in italics. And I think that that is really funny. That shows that's the self-awareness is that italics in that line. It makes a sense. That is funny to me. So this poem felt because the speaker was so self-aware, you felt like that made a lot of the humor in it then. Yeah, I think it puts it into this sort of um, self-deprecating mode in that in that instance. Yeah. 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 You know, one thing that struck me about this one is this one. I'd be interested to hear how um, the writer would read it almost because it, it strikes me that it reads much closer to prose and more it reads actually much closer to the stuff that we write like a monologue. It reads much more like a monologue, you know, it's divided into lines and couplets, but um, it oftentimes feels very natural to just keep going or maybe to stop at the end of one line. He also uses all of these different um, like visuals to aid you in, in reading it aloud. Um, some of the words are italicized. Some of them are in quotes. He uses hyphens and he even has one line that's in parentheses, which I don't even understand what that exactly means. 
but when you it's like you feel like these all need to be read in some different way and emphasized in some different way so yeah i don't know i think uh, i don't know where i was going with that point but yeah, no, that's really i mean cool. that's yeah because with the punctuation right what is punctuation it's a direction on on how to act it's or how to say something and so the same way i would imagine you'd have like in a monologue or a script you're giving a lot of direction to whoever's reading it or who's going to be performing it i guess to to how they should perform it right so this poem in, in some ways is giving you that same kind of direction right great any final thoughts on either of those poems or Sure, I have one last thing. I could, uh, just because we're thinking about this poem called Not a Living Dead Zombies, I liked how it just kept changing. I think it has so much wit. That's why it kept me moving through it. Um, whereas Borderless Body, what kept me moving through it was the sort of continual surprise and that kind of ecstatic note. Um, and both were brought me through it in slightly different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Both were enjoyable. They're both their own poems. So yeah. I have one more too. Um, uh, so I don't, I don't know where this will exactly go. You can just edit this out if this doesn't work. But I heard, I heard from our mutual, our good mutual friend Ray Raymond Hobbs, who's also in Mission Control, Evan, that you wrote uh, a sonnet about being hungover. Did, did I do that? <laughs> is that true? <laughs> is this true? And do, and do you have it? Uh, I probably do. I, I know what you're talking about. I wonder if I have it. Is it funny? It was pretty funny. It was just about, you know, I wrote it, I was in a dark place. And Were I, you hungover? Very. And I wrote it from a place of pain, but I like to think I turned it into comedy. Right. Maybe beauty. <laughs> Do you have it? I've never heard it. I only heard about it. So that's why. I have to, I have to dig for it, but I might. How much tape do we have on here? <laughs> yeah, have to wait. <laughs> if you find it, let me know. We, okay. can, <laughs> we can cut it back in, but that's great. Um, cool. All right. Well, if there is, that's it. Um, we can wrap up. So thank you guys. Oh, do you have any shows that you want to plug or anything like that? Well, we will. We will. Um, we, uh, man, one of, the, one of them I have to remember. We're going to be doing a, a show with Endgame's Improv. Um sometime in November or December when we're doing that. Uh, that's just going to be one kind of one-off kind of a thing. Then we're working on a couple of new things um, to look out for next year. One is our TV pilot, Friendship, um, with the dollar sign for the S, about monetizing our friendship and getting rich. Um, and then we're working on another full-length play that's sort of an alternate history of Laika the dog, who was the first dog in space. Um, unfortunately, she, ne- she never made it back, but we're writing an alternate history where she does make it back to Earth, crash lands in California, and then the Soviets, who launched her into space, um, send some spies to go find her, and they have to pose as American teenagers circa 1957. Um, that'll be happening sometime probably in April, and then we're going to run Duck Lake again, which is our ballet horror comedy um, in July of next year. Um, and uh, so just look out for those. And you can check us out. I was going to say, do you have a website where people can yes. follow up? Yeah, we do. We do. We, um, we have a website, which is missioncontrolcomedy.com. So missionctrlcomedy.com. And then we're on Twitter. I think we're missioncontrollols, L-O-L-Z for the kids. Uh, and on Facebook, too. You can find us. Great. Yeah. So if you guys want to check out more of their work, you can find them at those locations. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, guys, for uh, talking about these poems. And thanks, everyone, for listening. horse and they say what what in fact i've married several horses what were you divorced no 
A widower? Nothing of the sort. Well, then what? Bigamy. <laughs> Horse bigamy. Bigamy, that's the worst yet. 